when I got ready to write this subject of pastor, what a pastor does, I told God this. I don't know anything about a pastor. In the first place, there's no description in the New Testament of a pastor. The word pastor is only used one time in the entire New Testament, and that is in Ephesians chapter 4, when it says, Jesus gave to the church apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But there's no example of a pastor. No person in the New Testament is said to be a pastor. No one's named. There's nothing in the New Testament about a pastor. In the Old Testament, there are scriptures about a pastor and God complaining about their work. I didn't know what I was going to do. Several years ago, a man told me he was a pastor, and I was so excited, and I said, oh, tell me about the calling. Tell me what kind of work you do. And he got so frightened that he couldn't even say a word to me after that. He didn't know. Well, I want to tell you that God told me and the written material attached to this podcast are from God exactly on the work of a pastor. The first thing that happened after I said to God, I don't know anything about this subject, the Holy Spirit said, the gathering of the church. Well, that's a section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 14. Years ago, I spent lots of time on that subject of what we should be doing when we gather as the church. It's nothing like you see today. We don't have any kind of platform. We don't have any kind of railing separating the pastor from the people. We don't have any high up stands where you exalt yourself above the people, and we don't have anything to keep the Holy Spirit from working. The way things are set up today is basically to control the congregation so they won't talk. What Paul said to do is just opposite. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. There was a little country church that I went to once on a Wednesday night, and it was the most exciting church service I've ever been to. And it was very close to what verse 26 says to do when we come together as the church. The pastors would say, Does anyone have a word from the Lord? And different individuals would share 
what they'd heard from God. And it was so exciting. The closest thing I've ever personally seen to it was a Bible class. And the teacher of our Bible class never failed to say, does anyone have a word from the Lord? And we were free. We were free for the Holy Spirit to speak. And that was exciting. It's always exciting to hear from God. Your church services won't be boring when it is open for the Holy Spirit to work during the church service. You'll always be thinking, wonder what happened next. Wonder what God's going to do tonight. How many of you go to church thinking, ooh, I wonder what God's going to do tonight? That's what it should be. Then Paul went on and gave us instructions. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three. And let that be by course and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Tongues must have interpretation. Let the prophets speak two or three. Would you like to hear two or three prophets speak? Oh, I would. Let the prophets speak two or three. And let the other judge. And if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and that all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. This is not something where something takes over and forces someone to speak. One time I visited in a little non-denominational church. The pastor was teaching the Sunday school lesson. A woman jumped up, jumped up in the middle of the lesson and began waving her hands in the air, and she said, Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And the people started laughing. They thought that was the Holy Spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit interrupting the pastor while he is teaching. That is another spirit. She ran around the room a couple of times, the whole room, ran around it shouting and That's not the Holy Spirit. That's why many people hate the subject of the Holy Spirit because they think that's what the Holy Spirit is. It is nothing like that. I was horrified. They were all laughing and thinking the Holy Spirit fell on her. I was just horrified. The Holy Spirit never does anything out of order. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, teaches us all things, reminds us of everything Jesus has said, and shows us things to come. 
John chapter 14, verse 26, and John chapter 16, verse 13. Four things the Holy Spirit does. Mostly with me, the Holy Spirit gives me a better way to go, brings to my mind an idea that is of God that shows me a better way. Jesus comes that we might have life and have it more abundantly. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. That woman had a devil that was speaking through her that interrupted the church service, stopped the pastor from teaching this service, stopped the flow of the Spirit of God. And they thought it was the Holy Spirit in her, and it wasn't. It was another spirit of disruption and disorder. If I had been in charge of that meeting, I would have stopped it. Paul would have stopped it if he had been in charge of it. Paul said, it's in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. They don't interrupt a church service. In verse 34, Paul said, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. After I was born again, I was taken into heaven twice. I was merged into the body of Jesus, God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. I was made one with the Word of God. I thought that was what happened to every person who was born again. Later I found out that's not so. But what it was was a special calling on my life. And when I found that God was going to have me be a minister as apostle prophet, how can this be? I can't speak at a church. What about what Paul said? That's what I said to God. And what I heard from God is, look and see what these women were doing. And what I saw is they were disrupting the church service with asking questions. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, you can see they're asking questions. Let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. God reminded me that Philip, the evangelist, had four daughters who did prophesy. A woman would have to speak at church if she had the prophecy. So I knew Paul was talking about something else. Out-of-control women. 
I certainly saw one that day at that little non-denominational church. If I had been in charge at that church, I was just a visitor. If I had been in charge at that church, I would have stopped her. And I would have put things correct by saying, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's another spirit disrupting the pastor. I may not know all of what Paul was saying, but God convinced me that I was to do the work of a prophet, apostle, and prophet. An apostle deals with church doctrine and tries to get the doctrine at the church to be according to specific scripture. A prophet frequently brings correction to individuals and also to the pastor and to the church. And a prophet might hear a word that pertained to future for the church so that they could take action. Agabus, a prophet of the New Testament, Acts chapter 11, God showed him there was going to be a great dearth over all the world. And as a result of the word Agabus gave the New Testament church, they took up a collection to help the poor brethren who lived in Jerusalem. And they sent it by the hands of Paul and Barnabas. That's just one of the things prophets do. Verse 36, What came the word of God out from you, or came it to you only? If any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you, says Paul, are the commandments of the Lord. I certainly want to acknowledge that. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Verse 39, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So I know one of the things a pastor would deal with is 1 Corinthians 14. And setting the church meeting up so that the person who had a word from God had opportunity to share that word. Maybe they won't let women speak, but at least they could let everyone else speak. They could let people give testimonies as to what God had done to help them. Those are so exciting. Psalms are prayers, really. The prayer of David, Psalm of David. Psalms are actually prayers. Somebody might have a prayer they wanted to pray. Not a pre-planned thing where everyone's bored. And you just kind of pretend to go through it. 
but something from the heart, something where there's a real need, something that's real. And if they have a doctrine that God has taught them something from the Bible, if they have a tongue and an interpretation, they would be free to give that. Or a revelation. Let all things be done unto edifying. I think it would be up to the pastor to put this type of church service in his church. So after I ask what a pastor does, the Holy Spirit brought my attention to James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Visit means to judge the condition of the widow and the fatherless. Do they need money? Do they need anything? Do they need help? Doing what you can do to meet their need. And then that pastor has to keep himself unspotted from the world and live a godly life in front of everybody. Being an example to the church of godliness. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul goes on and says, And such were some of you before you were born again. But now we're not. One time I asked a woman in our church group, she had divorced and remarried and had an abortion. And I asked her, I said, but you wouldn't do that now, would you, after she was born again? And she said, no. And I believed her. We did these things before God revealed himself to us. But since we're born again and have been given a new heart and a new spirit, we're not going to do these things. But we have so many wolves in churches, and many of them are the pastors and other ministers, extortionists. We have so many extortionists who twist the message to make you think you have to give them a certain amount of money. Now, I was always so grateful to God to be born again and to be removed from the world and put in the church that I freely gave 
No one had to make me give to the church. I just loved what God had done for me, and I wanted to give. But first, the pastor must live a godly, personal life. Not fake, not phony, godly. I'm really sad to report that one of our Bible teachers at the church I attended when I was a new Christian, he was going to bars and he was picking up women and having sex with these women and he was reported to have a girlfriend. I went to him and asked him about this. I said, tell me about this girlfriend. See, I know what Paul says to do in a case of fornication in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If there's fornication in the church with someone who calls himself a brother, I know exactly what to do. Do you know what Paul says to do? It's not to pray for him or counsel him. He already knows the truth of the matter. He knows that's a sin. Paul said, don't keep company with him, don't eat with him, put him away from you, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 5. Well, we had a man at church who was doing that. And I went to him. And I said, tell me about this girlfriend. I've heard you have a girlfriend. Tell me about this girlfriend. He kind of hem and hawed around it. I point blank said, are you having sexual intercourse with this woman? And he said, of course. He said it in that tone of voice. Of course. I said, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything to do with you. I can't attend church with you or come to your Bible class or go anywhere with you. He said, that's right. He didn't care. It was a heart breaking experience. I think we turn them over to Satan the minute we say, I can't have anything to do with you because you're committing a sin. This is a brother. Now, Paul said, don't do that to the world. God will judge the world. But you are supposed to judge the church. The church is supposed to be godly. The church are supposed to be there because they belong to God. They are born again. That's really not the case most of the time. Most of the time, the churches today are apostate. They don't even follow scripture. Not all the scripture. But that's what it's supposed to be. 
Well, first, the pastor must be a godly man, not living a double life. Then the pastor, after setting an example for the other men in the church, keeps order in the church by not allowing sin into the church. Paul says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. All of this is in 1 Corinthians 5. So those are things the pastor has to be. Now let me read a couple of scriptures, share with us, concerning this subject of sin in the church. Hebrews chapter 6, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. You're asking Christ to die twice for your sins when you do that. He died once for our sins and saved us and purified us. But if we trample underfoot the good word of God and go out there and deliberately, willfully do these sins like we did as an unbeliever, Peter says it had been better for you never to have been born again. That is in 2 Peter chapter 2, I believe. If they fall away, it's impossible to bring them back to repentance because they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessings from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 6. Now Hebrews chapter 10. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Once again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. If we sin willfully, if we are born again enlightened to the truth and go out and commit fornication, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Jesus died once for sins and after that the judgment. Jesus died once for our sins and we put away those sins when we are born again. 
And we don't do those anymore. They're sins. Which one of us who's born again wants to go out and serve sin? We serve God now. Hebrews 10.27 There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries, the adversaries of God. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses, and it's even worse after you trample underfoot Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in verse 28, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Verse 29, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm sure many of us are aware of the situation with Jimmy Swaggart, TV preacher. He got on TV and tears rolling down his face, and he said, I have sinned, after he got caught with a prostitute. And the Assembly of God said, We must pray for Brother Swaggart, and we must counsel him. I was at a little Assembly of God church in Clovis, New Mexico, when this happened with Swaggart. I was shocked to hear the pastor say, we must pray for Brother Swaggart and counsel him. It came out of my mouth very softly. He should be put out of the church. A woman sitting in front of me heard me, although what I said was very softly. I was just so shocked. And she glared at me. Well, I never went back to visit that church, but the pastor said this. He doesn't know 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul said, if a man calls himself a brother and he's committing fornication, put him out of the church. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so the spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. That may be the only chance that man has is to be turned over to Satan and have his flesh so destroyed in this lifetime that he can be saved. Well, the leadership of the Assembly of God Church decided to counsel Brother Swaggart and pray for him instead of putting him out of the church. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. They did not follow the rules set forth by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5. Two or three years later, Jimmy Swaggart was caught with another prostitute. And at that time, he said, 
The Lord said to me that it was flat out nobody's business what I did. That is printed in Wikipedia, which is the Internet Encyclopedia. Well, after he said that, the leadership of the Assembly of God Church defrocked Jimmy Swagger. I guess they had ordained him or something. Defrocked Jimmy Swaggart. It didn't change his life one bit. He can't, He just didn't miss a beat. He went right on with his big TV ministry. Sinners in the church. Sinners in the ministry. A terrible thing. And we have it all around us today because of the end times and the apostasy that had to come into the church before Jesus could return. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I grieved so deeply over the church for years and years and years. I would go to church and I would find the preacher telling lies at church to the congregation. The next day, I would contact that same preacher and tell him I was in his service the night before when he spoke this. And I can't find that in the Bible. And finally, that preacher would say, it's not in the Bible. But he had no repentance. He had absolutely no repentance. I had this happen more than once, that preachers would say to the congregation things that weren't in the Bible. And when I ask them where it is in the Bible, they would say to me, Oh, I just can't remember where it is. And that was a lie. They knew it wasn't in the Bible. That happened twice to me. And both men said the same thing. Finally, they said, All right, it's not in the Bible. And one of them said, Where do you go to church? Well, the point was I was trying to find a church to go to, but I wasn't going to go to a church where the pastor adds things to the Bible that aren't in the Bible and tells his congregation lies, and he knows he is lying to his congregation. That is the end-time apostasy. And when Jesus returns, he will destroy those apostate churches, and their ministers. He will destroy all the people who love the church more than they love the Word of God. And they cast aside Scripture to approve people in the congregation. That is the end-time apostasy. Now, just one more thing about this. Did you know there is a scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, where Jesus says the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery? Write it down, Matthew 5, 32. Look it up when you can get your hands on your Bible. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Is that what your church is teaching? I've never heard it taught at a church. 
See, this is the end time apostasy to change the Bible to another doctrine. Oh, God wants you to remarry. He wants you to be happy. That's not true. He wants you to obey the New Testament scriptures. That's the doctrine of Christ for the New Testament church. Concerning the subject of pastors, it is so interesting to me that there is nothing in the New Testament Bible that shows a pastor. It says that Jesus gave us pastors. Ephesians chapter 4, there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But there's no example in the New Testament Bible of a pastor. But there are several scriptures in the Old Testament concerning pastors. Now listen to what God has to say. Jeremiah 23.1 Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 3.15 And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah 12.10 Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. Jeremiah 10.21 For the pastors are become brutish and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. Jeremiah 22.22 The wind shall eat up all thy pastors and thy lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then thou shalt be ashamed and confounded for all thy wickedness. Jeremiah 2.8 The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not, says God. The pastors also transgressed against me and walked after things that do not profit. Jeremiah 23.2 Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them, have not judged them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Paul warns us in the Bible about the evil that will come into the church in the end times, just before Jesus returns. The apostasy comes into the church. The apostasy, they're not people leaving the church. The apostasy, says God, is the church leaving the scriptures to approve people, to get bigger, to have bigger crowds, to say things that make people feel good about their sins. 
Paul warns us about this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. They attend church. They love the church building. They love the pastor. But they don't love the word of God. That's denying the power thereof. Verse 6. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. Paul says in verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Peter talks about it. And through covetousness, 2 Peter chapter 2, through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. Paul speaks of ministers of Satan. 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 12. Paul says, But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. Verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing that his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end 
shall be according to their work. Jesus speaks of false ministers and false Christians who do not have the Spirit of God, but come into the church acting like they think godly people should act. Matthew 24, start at verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. All these things you praise with your natural eye will be destroyed at the end when God destroys the heaven and the earth. Verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Because they say Jesus is Lord, you will listen to them, and they will deceive many. Many will be that way in the end times. So what are we supposed to do? We who really are born again, who don't want to sin, who want to follow God. 2 Timothy 3.14 But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that it was the Holy Spirit who taught you the Scriptures, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good work. So if you want to know something, read the New Testament Bible. Compare all of the scriptures on that subject. If it's divorce, remarriage, get all the scriptures from the Bible, New Testament Bible, and read everything it says. If it's homosexuals and lesbians, read Romans 1. Because in Romans 1, God says, He turned them over to vile affections. He calls it vile affection. That's what the Bible says. If you want to know any subject, pray, ask God, look at the Bible. The Bible is the only doctrine we have for the New Testament church. There is no other doctrine.
The Presbyterians might have something written. The Catholics might have something written. There's nothing written but the New Testament Bible that was altered by God. That is our doctrine. Jesus tells us in the last days, before the coming of Jesus, there will be so much evil, even the elect would not be saved unless the days were shortened. But the days will be shortened because of the elect's sake. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And when he returns, Jesus will destroy the apostate churches who have departed from Scripture and set up another doctrine. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 To summarize concerning a pastor or a teacher or any other person who is in charge of a meeting, God gave me three things to show me what a pastor should do and must do, and also a teacher who is in charge of a class must do these three things. The class must be set up in a way where the things brought forth provide edification, exhortation, comfort. The first thing is to free the Holy Spirit. And you do that by saying something like this. Does anyone have a word from the Lord? If so, please share it. I had a Bible teacher at Word of Faith who never once forgot to do that. He always freed the meeting for the Holy Spirit to participate through the individuals. Edifying is something that builds up the church in faith and in spiritual ways. I attended a service at a Baptist church a few years ago. A woman from the community came and sat with me and talked with me. The pastor started the service, and he said, the teenagers have just returned from their retreat. And he said, so-and-so is going to be in charge of this part of the service. So this high school kid got up, and he said, I'm going to show you a film of our retreat. 
So he pulled out a projector and set it up and began playing this film. I was absolutely horrified. And the woman sitting next to me was embarrassed. She said, I could do without this. The teenage boy was showing a film of a group of teenage girls that had their hair in rollers and were wearing their robes and running around the room. And the boys came in and started chasing them and flipping them on the rear with a towel. It had nothing at all spiritually edifying. It was just teenagers. That night I went to the pastor and told him I needed to talk to him. And he said, well, I've got time right now. So I told him this. I said, when we come together as the church, the meeting should be edifying, building the church in the faith. And that presentation that teenager gave today at your service was not edifying. God was not mentioned. There was nothing godly about it. It was just flesh. And he said, well, I liked it. Well, he might like it, but that's not what the church is supposed to be. I could see that there was nothing that could be done. So I said, well, I think I've said all that I'm supposed to say, and I left. He might remember it. Probably no one's ever told him that before. And hopefully he will remember it and that he will consider what is edifying to the body of Christ. Exhortation means warning, advice or warning. So it could be a little less pleasant to the congregation who needs correction. But that's important. And certainly we should be comforted by the Word of God that is presented by the Scriptures. It should build our faith. So when a pastor or a teacher who has a responsibility for a meeting plans it. He should think of three things and evaluate the meeting by, is this edifying? Do we present exhortations, warnings, advice? And does this provide spiritual comfort from God and build up our hope and our faith. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you today.